Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. Okay, so I'm here today and thrilled to say I've got Karen Dark with me. Hi, Karen. Hi, good afternoon. It's lovely to have you here. It's quite difficult to introduce someone who's achieved so much in their life, but I will try. Um, Karen has always been adventurous, climbing, running and cycling, but became paralysed from the chest down at age 21 when you fell 10 metres. Yeah, I was rock climbing on Scottish sea cliffs and... um was just climbing something a little bit too steep and a bit too hard for me and thought I could do it. And retrospectively, I should have listened to all the inner signs and come down, but I didn't. So, mm. Well, we don't need to sort of dwell on that too much, but um, you were in a coma for three days in hospital for six months and told that you would never walk, climb or cycle again. Um, but when you left the hospital, the first thing you did was to buy a cycle. A bicycle. Yes, I bought a racing wheelchair, actually, first of all, before I even bought a normal wheelchair, just because I knew I wanted to participate in sport and do things. And it wasn't long after that that I was investigating hand cycles. Back then, it's like 25 or more years since I was paralysed. So back then, hand cycling wasn't really a big thing. So it Mm -hmm. took a while to find a bike and get someone to, well, had someone make me a bike, a special bike. So yeah, my journey with cycling has been fairly significant since then (laughs) it certainly has hasn't it um and within a year you'd complete you'd completed the great north run and the london marathon yeah that that was in a racing wheelchair um but i suppose quite quickly i realized that my heart lies in the mountains and in in nature so catching a train from the north of scotland to compete in english towns and cities to run 10 kilometers in a racing wheelchair just didn't really float my boat it was kind of like why am I leaving this beautiful place to go to less beautiful places and I suppose that's where my attraction to hand cycling began and really just to trying to find ways back into the wilderness and the mountains. Mm. Um, You're currently a full-time athlete with the British Paracycling team. Well I was until I think this is my last month on programme so I'm just sort of transitioning really from what has been my life for 12 years basically yeah. and I am still training so I'm still hoping I can make the Tokyo Paralympics next year but yeah that will definitely be my last one I'm looking at new horizons yeah <laughs> yeah and you have been so so successful haven't you you won a silver in the 2012 Olympics in London yeah and gold in Rio mm-hmm. how did it feel being so successful in those in those events I think probably if you ask most athletes what success feels like, I don't know, like for me, it was never a given that I would be successful. Like the first time I did a race, I was last in it, as in the organisers were going home. There wasn't even a finish line anymore. I've lost so many races or performed badly so many times that when, but I have been lucky that the ones I've done well in have been the big ones, like Mm. the Paralympics. So I seem to have got something right in terms of training well and being in good form at the right time. So, yeah, both occasions have just felt amazing, but surreal as well. London, for me, was just about being there, to be in an Olympics in your own country with so many friends and family able to be there. And the atmosphere and the, the British you know, support for British athletes was just unbelievable. And for, it was only ever about being there. And mm. as, as the time drew nearer, I realised that if I had a really good run and went well, perhaps I could win a medal. But to win a silver medal was just beyond belief, really. So super excited about that. 
And then that gave me the, the, suppose, the fuel to carry on and think, well, maybe I can get to another one and make it my job for a while. So other work fell away and I became a full-time athlete and then just began to focus on... For, for me, it's just about the, it's about the journey and figuring out how you can get to be better. And it's not really about winning the gold medal, of course, that's nice, but it's like, well, how can you get to be better at something and, and working that out along the way? So, yeah, Rio... I felt like it was kind of meant to be, but also it was a really rocky road before getting there and it just seemed in so many logical ways it didn't seem like I would win. I had shoulder injuries and bite problems, all sorts of things, but yeah. You made it, you made it. And I think you're right with 2012, it was very special, wasn't it? I I was lucky to go to several events at the 2012 Olympics and it just felt incredible to be in your own country and to be able to witness that. Yeah, the atmosphere was... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> incredible games, incredible games. And then I think I read somewhere doing my research that you knew you would, would win a gold in Rio. <laughs> I don't know if I, I could never say I knew, but it was almost like, I don't know how to describe it, more of a, perhaps a spiritual journey to Rio. There was just something about, well, first of all, when I found out what the course was, it was very suited to the kind of rider that I am. I'm quite heavy for a woman because I'm so tall and so I tend to, to perform better on flatter courses so mm-hmm. Rio lent itself well to that and it just felt like things were going to come together and it was meant to be my race or something and then that's why it's a surprise that a week before I went to Rio I injured my shoulder I couldn't train I was in the medical center every day for the week um, and eventually got taped up and I had to have ibuprofen and things for the pain in my shoulder and got on the start line and then my chain fell off in the middle of the race oh, so wow. even in that moment as I was stopped at the roadside picking the chain up I kept thinking but I'm meant to win this one and now, <laughs> now I'm not gonna but uh, some by some miracle I still did. You so, did yeah and am I right that in something like um, the, the the cycling event in the Paralympics you don't really know where you are is that right? Yeah, so there's, I have two events. One is the time trial. You set off at one-minute intervals and you don't really know where you are. You can tell a little bit if yeah. people have caught you up or if you've caught other people up. But basically, you don't know the results until you've crossed the finish line and you wait to find out. Um, so that's very different to the road race where you begin together and it's like more like a, a true race against yeah. each other. Yeah. So, Karen, you, you've been so successful as an, as an athlete. What makes you motivated enough to get out of bed and get that training done every day (laughs) well I am human so it's not every day that I leap out of bed excited (laughs) about going out come rain or shine but generally speaking I think it's just because I love what I do if I remember when I was working in an office and the thought of going and sitting at a computer all day in an office was just not stimulating for me so getting out of bed in the morning was hard whereas now generally the idea of going outside and being on my bike and getting to ride my bike, which is my passion, as my job is just so, I'm so privileged that that's something I can do that I feel, yeah, excited about it. So motivation is not usually a problem. Of course, there are days when I'm not feeling quite as motivated for whatever reason, I'm tired or the weather's bad. But I have this thing where I think about what my future self would feel. Mm. So... You know, there's many things that your current self might not want to do, like lie in bed an extra half an hour, but then you know you've missed your chance to do a training. So then I'll think forward to, well, at midday today, I'll feel so much better if I know I've done that and I've been outside and had the fresh air and it will wake me up once I go and then I do it. So, yeah, thinking of future self really helps me. 
that's <laughs> key, isn't it? It's it's so easy to do something in the moment that isn't going to help you in the future, and it's much much better to have that foresight to actually see what's going to happen and, and do it. And I and I guess you know you're in Mallorca at the moment, going out training. You are surrounded by beauty and nature, and and in the UK similarly, you're in a beautiful location. I do find my motivation levels tend to be higher when I'm in Mallorca than when I'm in the north of Scotland in winter, at least. Yes. It's definitely yes. easier when the weather's just a little bit milder and so on. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we're blessed to live here. It's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and I think also having a team behind you. I know you're a solo athlete, but having that team behind you helps. Yeah, so I think if you just feel like you're battling away on your own all the time, that can be quite difficult and... But usually that's not the case, is it? Once you've set on a path towards something, people know about it, whether that's friends or professionals who are forming a team around you. So I have a coach and I have um, a strength and conditioning coach and I have a physio that I see regularly. And so there's a little team and people that I know are thinking about my plan and working to help me. And so I don't want to let them down either. So that helps motivate me. Yeah. So, for example, this year is interesting because I've been dropped off the team because I didn't um, basically medal at the Worlds last year and it's very black and white. You medal and you're on and you don't and you're not. So Mm. I missed out on that. Um, And so it would be easy to feel kind of demotivated and think, oh, well, someone's decided I'm not good enough anymore, so that's that. But my coach that I've worked with for years is not part of the British cycling structure and he's like, you know, you've got what it takes. Come on, we'll just keep going. And... I have Williams Formula One who build me a race bike for Rio who are really keen to keep working with me and make me a kind of Mark II of that bike. So I have these people that are still believing in me and supporting me. So that really helps motivate me to go, okay, come on, you can do it, keep going. Yeah, no, that's amazing to have such brilliant sponsors and and people in your life who are helping you in that way. That's fantastic. Yeah, completely. I'm very lucky. But yeah, yeah, I think that's what happens when you set... um, when, yeah, when you set an intention, I suppose I've done it for so long now, and when it's come to the big ones, I have seemed, I do seem to have managed to pull it off. So it's really nice that I didn't used to have any belief in myself, but now uh, I have a bit more belief in myself. And then to have people around you that believe in you too is obviously really valuable. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and I heard you mention there, you know, setting an intention. And again, that's key, isn't it? With anything that we want in life, I love the whole. If you set an intention and you believe in it enough, that's going to happen. It's going to work. It's going to... The, the, the things you need to help you are going to be attracted into your life. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think... Um, I haven't always worked that way, but for Rio, trying to win a gold medal there, it really became, for me, about this experiment to play with my mind and with setting intention. And I didn't believe in a kind of arrogant way that I could win it, but... For about two years before, I just basically just focused on gold so much that my whole life was filled with, I had gold laptop cover, gold phone cover, gold shoes, was talking about gold, friends were buying me gold cakes, and then people were saying, when you win gold, and it was like it had already happened. So I kind of do believe that sometimes the way to create the future is creating the future in the present and just almost imagining that it's already done, even if you 
go into your head and you let your logical thoughts intervene you're kind of left going yeah but what planet are you on how on earth is that going to happen but actually there's a for me there's something a little bit more magical at work (laughs) and also there's so much scientific evidence coming in now about that most professional athletes will have some sort of mindset coach Mm -hmm. um and there's so many examples of things i think in um what's the guy who writes life's search for meaning who was in a Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel. And he, when he came out, played golf and did an amazing, almost, I think it was a hole-in-one. And someone said, how on earth have you done that? You've been in a concentration camp for so many years. And he said, and you haven't played golf? And he said, oh, I have played golf. I've played golf every mm-hmm. day. Yeah, and, there's huge amounts of evidence and brain scans that yeah. have been done to prove that if you work out in your mind, either physically or with that belief or imagination of something already happening, then it's something like 80 or 90% as effective as actually going to the gym and doing a workout or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, they've done the strength tests, haven't they, and uh, all sorts of things. I can't remember the last book I read, but there was lots of things about that in it and lots of research in it which showed it was right. So you're definitely doing all the right things here, <laughs> definitely doing all the right things. If we, if we go back, what do you think, was there something in your childhood that made you be so sporty and enthusiastic and competitive do you think well no like on one on the one hand i would argue that i'm not people say well how can you not be competitive you can't be an athlete and go to olympic games and not be competitive but obviously i am and to a degree but the competition it's more with myself Mm. and it's almost more of a journey not of competition but of of exploration of well how how can you get to be better at something or could could I actually do this? Because this is the sort of thing other people do. And sometimes when my competitors have won and done well, I've cried because I'm so happy for them. Yeah. Because I've seen them go on a journey from beginning and th- feeling like they were no good at something and actually not doing very well and then making it to the top of a podium. And likewise with me, from going from coming last and, and being lapped in races to suddenly winning an Olympic gold. Like it seems, sometimes it's easy to think it's for other people But actually, I think it's for anybody who decides that they want it and works hard hard towards it. I think there was nothing in my childhood. Like, my dad has loved, always loved cycling. So I kind of grew up with bikes to a degree. But he actually gave it up when we were little and spent most of his time. His substitute activity for riding bikes was Morris dancing. (laughs) So a lot of my childhood was spent in Yorkshire villages with kind of fairly unusual Morris dancing people in Mm. clogs singing nasal singing and drinking pints in pubs (laughs) and my mum before I was born was a PE teacher but she's never been that since she's she's been a primary school teacher um but I think my parents instilled into me like a sense of adventure um so they've always been quite open and our summer holidays were often just going camping for six weeks and not really having a plan and not knowing where we're going to be heading each day so maybe that's kind of passed down through them a little bit yeah yeah that whole sense of adventure and and you know thinking of your life as it is now you have had some amazing adventures haven't you maybe we should talk a little bit about quest 79 explain to to our listeners (laughs) what that is so well i'll backtrack a little bit but my first big adventure i suppose like i said my heart has always been in mountains and nature to a large degree so when i was laid in a hospital bed um, struggling, not being able to walk, looking at polystyrene ceiling tiles for months on end. I kept myself going, really, with... I had posters of 
beautiful mountain stuck on the ceiling. And so it wasn't long after I was out of hospital that I started to dream about going into big mountains again. So as a climber and a geologist, I really want to visit the Himalayas. Mm. So I had this idea to try and hand cycle across the Himalayas with... And most people just looked at me like I'd lost my my mind. <laughs> and luckily, a few friends said, "Wow, like we will we'll come with you." So four of us went, and we did cross from Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, into Western China, and then across the Karakoram into Pakistan. And an amazing experience. Like just no support vehicles, just cycling, carrying all our camping gear, living wow. on porridge and rice and whatever we could find to survive on. And I suppose that's just how I've grown up in many ways just living like that and and I love that because when you go on an adventure you just leave behind well for me people say how do you afford it and to me life on an adventure is just simple it distills things down to the basics of food and water and human spirit and survival and I love that (laughs) (laughs) fundamentally that's kind of what yeah what life is about really so so yeah, I've had various adventures throughout the years, but as an Olympic or Paralympic athlete, they kind of fell by the wayside a little bit because to, to be successful, I had to just focus and train and going cycling for miles slowly doesn't really help that. And then after Rio, I realised that I'd won the 79th medal for my country and it was a gold medal and I'd forgotten because I used to be a geologist, but a little while after someone pointed out that 79 is the atomic number of gold in the periodic table do you remember that the school chemistry and um I don't know this kind of number 79 seemed to haunt me for a while and when I was kind of recovering after Rio and thinking about what next I didn't think I would carry on necessarily and keep competing my heart again wanted to go back to to adventuring and so I invented this project um called quest 79 and my quest was to cycle on seven continents with nine rides which was a very weird, coercive way to put pressure on myself to actually maybe try and get to the Tokyo Paralympics because it was one on each continent plus um, a Paralympics either side, so Rio and Uh. hopefully Tokyo. And the other vision that came with it was that I wanted to encourage other people who perhaps maybe didn't do things like that normally just to... I suppose I just really believe that when we step out of our comfort zone and do something different, then it brings amazing gifts. We discover things or big build confidence in ourselves or have an experience or get to do some amazing teamwork with other people which usually brings something really special mm-hmm. so I basically put it out there to other people to take on their own quest 79 whatever that might be it might be that you know someone hasn't been able to walk so taking 79 steps would be a huge thing or um some people have decided to read 79 books my dad was 79 last year he decided to cycle 79 miles for 79 years my mum has had ms for a long time so she doesn't really manage that well with exercise so she decided she would give up any source of alcohol for 79 days (laughs) (laughs) and people have just been doing different things like a lovely young guy from the isle of sky heard me talk about it on the radio and he decided to climb 79 peaks in 79 weeks Um, someone ran their first marathon and decided to try and get 79 people to donate blood before he did it because a family member had a a rare disease that needed blood transfusions so that's just been incredible for all these stories to be going on Um, people losing weight you know trying to get down to 79 kilos or even more extreme to lose 79 Mm. pounds I haven't met anyone yet who's needed to lose 79 kilos that's quite a lot (laughs) there's such amazing things that people are doing and, and lots of fundraising lots of great things going on Tell us a little bit about the book. 
Well, what's been really special about other people doing their quests and seeing what they're doing is it's it's had the reverse effect of inspiring me. So, like, even though I came up with the Quest 79 idea, for the few years after Rio, I had quite a few health problems. Um, I had to have surgery on a big abscess and various things. Um, and at one point, I got had quite a few problems with pressure sores on my bottom which when you're paralyzed is a big problem because Mm. obviously your skin can't heal so the golden rule is you just have to get off it and lie around on a sofa um until it heals so i did find myself a couple of summers ago basically stuck um had to cancel competition all plans and just lie on my sofa for the best part of two months and at first obviously it was like oh (laughs) what am i going to do Mm. and then i'm usually quite good at turning difficult situations around and so i decided that i would use this time laid on my tummy lying around to finish off a book that i've been working on for quite a while which I've called Quest 79, um, and the strapline is Find Your Inner Gold. So my purpose with the book was to share some of my experiences from from sport and also from the adventures I've had about um, positive psychology, I suppose. So each story has a kind of, so what, why am I telling you this? And then there's a little tip or kind of point to it, which I hope will help other people with different situations in their lives. And all the proceeds from the book um, part of Quest 79 is also that I raised 79000 for the Spinal Injuries Association, who were an organisation that, yeah, through their resources and the work that they do, really helped me get going after after my injury. So, yeah, all the proceeds are going to that. And so far we've raised about 25000 for the Spinal Injuries Association, so only 54 left to go. <laughs> that is um, amazing, though. That's a, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It is, and that's not all been through my work. It's been a lot of the people who've been doing their own Quest 79s who have been then fundraising as part of that. So, like, my family, we decide I've got three nephews, and then we're like, we're going to do a 79-mile bike ride one oh. weekend, and lots of their friends sponsored them, and they raised, like, £5,000, so... Yeah, and all the other stories I've already described, people doing different things, a lot of them have fundraised either for their own cause that's closer to their their own heart or their own family, but sometimes for the the fundraising that I'm doing. Brilliant. Well, I think next year maybe I'll do a 79-mile bike ride. Great. And there's some some girls that I cycle with a lot. They could all do it and we could... um, we could do it for the spinal injuries as Fantastic. well. Fantastic. Yeah, I shall, I shall mention it to them. I'm sure they'll be very, very happy to do that. Thanks. Brilliant. So, Karen, Quest 79. I have had a look at the book. Um, it's fantastic. I intend buying it for a few people because I love the stories in it and, and the messages that are within the stories. But it wasn't your first book, was it? No, but my first book was a surprise. So I basically started writing... Just as a cathartic process, I think it's a good way to help heal yourself when difficult things have happened. And that's what I did after I'd been paralysed. And I was just avidly, I kind of realised that I don't want to burden my friends with how I'm feeling. So I'll just, I'll just burden the, the world with it. No, but I just started writing to help myself. And then somebody read it and they said, you know what, you should really put all this together. And, um, and actually what happened was that somebody I know in Japan took my writing and translated it into Japanese. And so the very first book... I had published was actually published in Japan <laughs> and then I thought this is crazy I've got a book in Japan in Japanese but not in English so I should try and now do it in English so that led to my first book If You Fall and then I decided that you know I really enjoy the process of writing but didn't see myself as any kind of accomplished writer at all but I was lucky then to apply for a place on a mountain writing program at the Banff 
Literary Arts Centre, which is um, in Banff, in Canada, in the Rockies. Wow. So it was just an incredible opportunity to spend a month there, mm-hmm. um, a fully funded programme, writing my second book. And the, the, the ethos of this course is that it's connected to mountains and nature in some ways. So, yeah, that, that was amazing. Had two editors to work with us and support us through that process. So that led to my second book, Boundless, which is very much about going back to try climbing again and climbing El Capitan, the big famous rock face in Yosemite National Park in America, and also another adventure where I um, became part of a group that, and we skied across the Greenland ice cap. So Boundless is really about those two adventures quite specifically. El Capitan, I've been there. I mean, I haven't climbed it, have to say. But I, there was a guy who had um, the most amazing binoculars and was taking photographs through them. And he invited us to have a look through to see some people who were climbing. It's not a hill that you can do in a day, is it? <laughs> no, most people... Well, it has been speed climbed. And more recently, people have, it's become quite famous through Alex Arnold's film about uh, free solo, climbing oh, yes. it with no ropes. But the majority of people that are climbing it maybe take a week to climb it. Yeah. So you sleep on, on the rock face. You have a ledge that you construct every night. You carry enough food and water to last a week. I mean, it's, yeah, a full-on major adventure. It's a very serious <laughs> adventure, yes, yes. And one which, for me, brought up a huge amount of fear. So Boundless talks about my journey of climbing El Capitan, but really it's a story about a process of yeah overcoming fear, I think, or yeah. facing fear. And how we can use our mind and change our mind um, to get us through situations. Because I love this analogy for f- the acronym for fear, false expectations appearing real. Yes. But to me, it seems like, you know, fear it exists for very real reasons sometimes to protect us and keep us safe. But also um, many times in our modern world, it's kind of a, you know, not necessarily for good reasons. And it's actually limiting us to have those fears. Mm, I think it limits many, many people, doesn't it? You're right, there are occasions, like if you're suddenly climbing El Capitan, where I think you're every right to be to be a little bit fearsome. <laughs> I was scared, it did lead to me climbing with two or three ropes instead of one, which I think were all good things to do. <laughs> yes, yes, but amazing, amazing adventures, and still some to come. Yes, so the Quest 79 project, my side of Quest 79... There are two journeys remaining, so I've written all the continents now. Um, First journey was after Rio, and that was down through South America, through Patagonia, following the coastline there, which was, I called it the wild way. It was quite wild, rough roads all the way, and that was with some teammates who, one's missing an arm, Uh, Jacko has a carbon arm that he's lost limbs in Afghanistan, and Steve is losing his eyesight, so he has uh, only very focused vision in the middle, no peripheral vision. So it was kind of this mixture of people who on their own probably couldn't have managed that well, but together we got through it. The journey after that was from Canada to Mexico, down the Pacific coast of North America. Um, And one friend on that who was trying to lose 79 pounds and successfully managed to do that and felt like a different person at the end of it. Um, Yeah, where after that was the been riding across Australia, the length of Australia's Murray River, the Ganges from its source in the Himalayas down to its spiritual heart and the mountains of Ethiopia, which are called the Water Towers of Africa. And then more recently, I just finished the journey across Europe. So starting in northern France, down the Atlantic coast, and then following the Camino de Santiago across Spain. 
So the the two that are left are um, to try and find a way to get to the Tokyo Paralympics. And if I, for some reason, don't manage to race there, then I have to go there and do a ride of some sort. Yes. Um, just to just to be there and be part of that atmosphere. And the ultimate one, which is just, you know, bigger than all of the others because of the, the objective dangers, the costs, and just the incredible nature of the continent, and that's Antarctica. So that has always been the one, even though every quest has kind of scared me in some way, this is the ultimate one, really. Um, Our plan is to create a new pole. So instead of going to the South Pole, which really anybody can do if you've got lots of money, we want to ski to a new location, which is 79 degrees south and 79 degrees um, of longitude as well. So it'll be at 79, 79. So the team that will go to the Pole of Possibility at 79-79 is very diverse. There's just going to be six, maximum seven of us. Um, A couple of the team are experienced polar guides who have travelled in Antarctica before, and obviously we need that because the rest of us are basically Antarctic numpties. (laughs) And it's a serious environment to be in. When you're paralysed, you can't regulate your body temperature, so I need to be extra careful for hypothermia and other related cold issues. I'll be travelling either in a sit-ski or a special bicycle if we can find one that will work in that kind of environment. Um, The other person who's quite unusual that's coming with us, um, a young woman called Iona, who's only 18 years old. She's had a really quite a tough journey with self-confidence and has been working with an organisation called the Polar Academy who have helped her develop skills and confidence and finally led to her taking a a polar journey in Greenland. Um, my brother is part of the team, oh. which will be special because we've never actually shared an adventure together before. So, yeah, quite very diverse team in terms of age and ability and levels of experience and confidence. But I think that's representative of what we're trying to represent. So I think our team is, we kind of represent what it is that we want to inspire in people is that ordinary people can do, you know, kind of extraordinary things and that... If we just have a dream or a goal, and even if we don't necessarily believe in ourselves, that if we work together and support each other with sort of maybe some technology to help us through it and some teamwork and some tenacity, then we can do things that we never really thought that we could. So just to inspire that possibility within people, we want to do a live broadcast from the Pole of Possibility to young people around the world to sort of communicate that message. And if you can do it on a personal level, and inspire possibility in an individual then I think you can then that's going to spread isn't it to communities that people live in and hopefully globally and and you know maybe help us to believe that we can solve some of the big problems of our time like climate change and things that we're tackling and the big the big kind of dramatic things that we're seeing happening in the world and maybe um, go into them with feeling more possibility and less fear. No, I think that's such a, a, a brilliant thing to aim for. When you look at that young girl, the, 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 I can't, um, the one who's doing the climate change Greta. Stuff. Greta, that's her, Greta. I mean, she's amazing, and it does show that anything you really put your heart and soul into and that you really work towards, you can achieve. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And um, Well, we've got big ideas for it, and um, I'm not sure how many of them will come off, but there's all sorts. It's growing arms and legs at the moment about yeah. you know how to get a really a really big name patron to be behind yes. it, and um, 
I've written to a few people. I won't mention them yet, but I'm hoping some of them might reply. Well, I hope so. (laughs) And what can other people, so anyone listening to this podcast, what could they do to help? So uh, one of our um, projects is to have what I'm calling the POP Challenge, so the Pole of Possibility Challenge. And it's, again, an extension of the Quest 79 ideas. So it's really appealing to anybody, be it a company, a family, a school, a team, an individual who wants to secure a place on our Pole of Possibility flag. So their personal name or family name or company name or whatever it might be can be on the flag um, and to commit to raising a minimum of £2,000 through doing their own Quest 79 challenge. Mm -hmm. So anybody that is keen to do that, it'd be great if they could get in touch with me uh, via my website it's karendark.com and we're in the process at the moment of um, putting together a fundraising pack brilliant that people can download and uh, yeah just kind of like the idea of spreading the energy and the motivation and people being part of that journey to the pole of possibility as well yeah and I think people seeing what you've done is such an inspiration to know that there is so much you can do despite whatever challenges you have in life you know there is so much that if you really put your mind to it you can do yeah and my words the night before I had my accident that paralyzed me were with a friend talking about the issue of becoming paralyzed and my very words were I'd rather be dead than paralyzed I can't manage anything worse and I think it's easy sometimes to think that uh, we can't cope with the situation or that you know we don't have the skills within ourselves to navigate the, the the challenges of life and we do need to be resilient but I think most of us are and we do have those strengths within us yeah I think you're right I think that everyone has that strength within them whether they can dig deep enough to find it is another thing um and there's lots and lots of tools out there to help um yeah. and people friends family and- support being part of you know, I've said it a few times, but being part of a team just makes such a difference. Whatever yeah. you're doing, it's it's uh, it just gives you that extra energy and help along the way. So when one of you's low, one of you's high, and yes. one of you's got no idea, and someone else has an idea. So <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Karen. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Is there anything else you think that people could help with? That um, is there anything you're trying to find that, that you haven't been able to find that maybe we could get the word out there? Anything at all? Wow. Well, I am trying to get a team of people together to help with the Pole of Possibly project. So if anybody's got time and skills that they can help with, so either what I've mentioned already, getting a team together or just doing something for yourself and fundraising a few thousand for us and getting your place on the flag. Or if you have some skills, whether that be website building, um, you know, marketing, communication, ability to spread the word, it's all about getting the word out there. So yeah, I can't do all that on my own. So no. if there are people out there interested to help, then I'd love to hear from you. Brilliant. Well, we'll certainly make sure that... Um, we'll, we'll probably put something up on the Brooklyn's Radio website as well, something written as well as the as the interview. And then um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we get some people coming forward. Fantastic. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for talking to us today. You truly are an inspiration. And um, I, I just... I think you're a brilliant role model for people. <laughs> well, that's my privilege if I am, but yeah, I'm just another human being finding my way through life like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks Talk to us today. Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters.